TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. This Tuesday night, the seventh day of the seventh month of the year 2020, brings you Scoop Podcast episode 304. I'll begin by emptying out my figurative notebook. This should be the week that action starts to pick up on the Anthony Harris and Dalvin Cook contract extension fronts. The Anthony Harris deadline is July 15th for Dalvin. The presumed deadline is July 28th. The start of training camp, yes, it is crazy to think, but if things go as planned, Mike Zimmer was on a conference call, in fact, the other day. He was told to plan as if training camp will begin in Egan on July 28th. What training camp will look like, there are many, many things still to figure out, including is there any chance the Vikings will have anywhere near 90 players like in a typical training camp? Will they have anywhere near 90 players? That seems unlikely. That is one of many things to figure out, but... Two things they do want to figure out, at least short-term, are, okay, does it make sense to extend Anthony Harris or have him play this year on the franchise tag, which is worth just over $11.4 million. And on Dalvin Cook, he's made it known, at least behind the scenes, he is not happy. He doesn't want to be the 38th highest paid running back in the game, nor should he be the 38th highest paid running back in the game. The way the Vikings offense is geared, it is run first. Many teams have a pass-first offense, the Vikings are atypical in that regard. So they go in many ways as Dalvin goes. Dalvin, in my opinion, is the face of that offense. So you need to pay him. I don't know overall if I would pay any running back big-time money, but the way the Vikings are structured, I think you need to pay him. Mike Tannenbaum was on this podcast recently. He said he'd pay Dalvin 12 to $12.5 million per year. So we'll see when talks will pick up. But as of Tuesday night, Talks and not picked up on either front. A reminder of something I said with Judd Zolgad on one of his podcasts last week, that typically the Vikings slash Rob Brzezinski, Rob does the Vikings contracts. Typically he slash they don't really make their best offer until a few days before a deadline or even 48 hours before a deadline. So those close to Anthony Harris don't expect things to really pick up until like over the weekend or into next week. The Vikings never inquired about cornerback Jamar Taylor before he signed Monday with the 49ers, but I can still see the Vikings before the month is over adding some veteran defensive back. On the Wolves, Cassius Winston of Michigan State and Yudoka Azabuki, the big man from Kansas, very talented big man. Add those two names to the list of draft prospects that have interviewed with the Wolves. You can add them to Aaron Henry of Michigan State, Lamar Stevens of Penn State, Freddie Gillespie of Baylor. He went to Eastridge High School, Tyrell Terry of Stanford. He went to De La Salle High School and others. Gillespie, by the way, is training right now in Miami. Terry is training in Indianapolis. An informal poll of some Wolves players equals a preference to not go to Chicago if an 18 bubble even gets off the ground. I mean, you talk to people, at least on background, you know, from these eight teams. 
that supposedly may end up in Chicago in a second bubble in September. I am struggling to find anybody that actually believes that this will happen. I mean, pending free agents don't have an interest. I mean, there's really no competitive advantage for anybody to really play. Like, what's the incentive? But I can just tell you, an informal poll of some Wolves players, the preference is if something is mandatory, and it seems like something would be mandatory, so they don't go from early March until early to mid-December without any sort of competitive action, even if it's just a scrimmage. So there is a thought that something will be mandatory in late August or in September, but the preference I get the sense being is that these Wolves players that I've gone back and forth with via text prefer something at Mayo Clinic Square. Continuing the NBA theme, Zeke Naji, former Hopkins high school star, the Pac-12 freshman of the year from the University of Arizona, recently had a virtual interview with the Houston Rockets. What's interesting about that is the Rockets currently do not have a draft pick. The NBA draft scheduled for October 16th. Zeke, by the way, interviewing with the Golden State Warriors later this week. That will be either Team 19 or Team 20. I don't have all the teams in front of me, but Zeke Naji has interviewed already with over half the league. On the flip side, Daniel Oturu, former Gopher, Trey Jones, former Duke Blue Devil, Jones of Apple Valley High School, Oturu from Woodbury, went to Creighton-Durham Hall High School. Those two guys have yet to do any interviews. I would just say it's early, so it just depends. Zeke, his personality, it lends itself to him impressing NBA front offices in those virtual type interview settings. With Trey, with Daniel, there's a thought that the NBA may have some sort of draft combine, at least an opportunity to interview, probably in Chicago in late August. So why not wait? There's no reason many months prior to do all these interviews. You can be very strategic. Wait for the lottery to shake out in late August, see where teams are picking, see what other transactions could potentially take place, and be strategic about where you have these guys interview. Who do you have these guys interview with? But with Zeke, his agent has said, hey, with his personality, let it shine. Let him interview with everybody. But really, there is no right answer. But Oturu and Trey Jones, who are training out in Santa Barbara, California at P3, have yet to do one interview. Interesting point by Rich Hill on a Zoom with a few of us reporters earlier on Tuesday. He mentioned that those who work in the Twins clubhouse are not tested daily. They're not even tested every other day. It's only two times a week. So you think about clubhouse personnel, they are around players on an everyday basis, yet they are only tested for COVID-19 twice a week. That seems like a problem. There's been problems throughout baseball. You think about the Giants canceling their workout on Tuesday. The Nationals have had hiccups. The Cardinals have had some hiccups. The Oakland A's, the Los Angeles Angels. With the Twins, at least on the players' side, no hiccups. Byron Buxton is good to go. Cody Stashak is good to go. They've been getting their results back in a timely fashion. So at least with the Twins, so far so good on the testing front. But with so many other teams, it's just it's been, for lack of a better term, a cluster bleep. On Gophers men's basketball, optimism remains that Liam Robbins and Booth Gotch will be granted immediate eligibility. Both guys living in the Twin Cities now. Robbins still hasn't heard anything as of earlier this week, but I can just tell you behind the scenes, there is optimism that he will be granted an opportunity to be eligible right away, transferring from Drake on Gotch. It seems like it's a foregone conclusion, having a really good attorney working on his behalf, transferring closer to home during the pandemic. It seems like a slam dunk that Gotch 
will be eligible right away. The NHL return to play deal is pretty much done. It'll be interesting. Now there's over 700 players. Like Brock Besser was on this podcast recently. He legitimately wants to play. His friends in the league legitimately want to play. You text with some other players, they're not as interested. But, hey, guess what? Majority rules. So it looks like the Wild are on their way to Edmonton for a best-of-five series with the Vancouver Canucks in early August with training camp beginning on Monday. We'll learn a little bit more about that when we talk to Zach Parisi. When I say we, collective members of of the media. We'll have a Zoom call with Parisi on Wednesday afternoon. Rashad Bateman and Zach Anikstead of the Gophers football team have connected with ETS Training. That's Adam Thielen's outlet. So, in fact, Bateman has spent some time this summer with Adam Thielen. Anikstead has spent some time this summer with Thielen. In fact, a lot of Thielen's teammates with nowhere else to go, guys like Alexander Madison, Garrett Bradbury, Daniil Hunter, guys in the past who haven't trained at Thielen's gyms are now training at Thielen's gyms. A reminder, too, that Thielen was pretty much the ringleader on organizing the offense to work out at Woodbury High School a couple weeks ago. Kyle Rudolph told me they had around 30 guys there. Justin Jefferson was there. K.J. Osborne was there. So many guys were there. Dalvin Cook wasn't there, but a lot of the guys from the offense were at Woodbury High School over the course of a few days a couple weeks ago. All right, now let's get to some interviews. I brought up Trey Jones earlier. I connected with Trey Jones a couple weeks ago before he left for Santa Barbara. Here's my conversation with presumed first-round NBA pick, the younger brother of current Memphis Grizzly, Tyus Jones. Here he is from the Duke Blue Devils, or at least formerly of the Duke Blue Devils. Had two solid years at the Duke Blue Devils. Here is my conversation with Trey Jones. Trey, let me start with just everything going on here in the Twin Cities because you've put on your social media platforms, you were at one of the protests. Why was it important for you to be there? Right. Um, I mean, for myself, um, I feel like I have a big enough following and the platform that I'm on and the stage that um, I'm blessed to be on, I feel like just being able to spread the right message and um, just get the awareness out. Some people don't know um, the history of everything that's been going on and so just trying to help people understand why um, the people that are my color are going through what they're going through right now and how frustrated frustrated people are and how mad they are and it's just built up over a lot of years so just trying to help people understand why um, people are acting the way they are right now why people are out protesting the things they are what advice would you give people your age in terms of what they can do and even people of my age to, to enact change i mean is it just listening more? Is it having deep conversations? Is it donating time, donating money when you can? What are what are some ideas? Right. I think um, first, I think it would just be educate yourself. Um, I mean, there's so many different ways. We all carry the smartphones around, and it's so easy to just look things up on the internet. So I think just um, educating yourself, whether it's reading. Some people um, can watch the documentaries that are put out. Some th- sometimes it's too hard to watch almost, but. I think just getting an understanding of what went on in our history that we didn't, we might not have learned um, in school growing up, and um, now we do have the opportunity to to teach ourselves or have those things teach us about those things. But I think also voting um, is a huge thing that people don't know about still, and um, a lot of people aren't signed up to vote or don't really know how to do that. So just trying to figure out figure out how to um, sign up to vote and. Uh, figure out who you want to vote for because the people who we put in the office are really the ones that are 
making the decisions around the communities. I'll hit you with one more life question then a couple basketball questions. You're an uncle now, right? Right. What's that like? <laughs> um, being an uncle is a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, J.D. had his three boys a few years back, but yeah, Ty has just, <laughs> just had his um, baby boy. So yeah, it's, it's crazy right now, especially not being able to see him that much. I've only seen him twice, haven't been able to hold him yet, but um, I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, we're getting old quick and Ty's having his first baby. So, I mean, it's, it's extremely cool and just kind of puts things into perspective, really. What is it like, though, just navigating these these awkward times? I mean, you're right. I mean, normal circumstances, you'd be seeing your new nephew, I mean, two, three times a week, not just two times since he was born. And then like normal circumstances, it would be next Thursday that you'd hear your name called with the NBA draft. Obviously, that's not happening next Thursday. So just how are you how are you managing just all this change? Right. I'm just trying to look at it in the most positive way I can. I'm just realizing that I haven't had a lot of time at home in the last couple of years. And I'm just being able to spend it with some of my family, which I haven't had a lot of time around. My brother, obviously, JD. Um, always got looking forward to working out with him. So past couple months, just being able to get back in the gym and work out with him is really um, something that I've always wanted to do. And with the last couple years not being able to, I feel like we got to uh, catch up now on um, these past few months. But I mean, like I said, just trying to take everything and have it be positive. Um, I feel like through life, everything's going extremely fast and you, you tend to forget things as they just keep going by. And so with everything slowing down right now, it's almost like you get to sit back and reflect on what's been happening and before the next chapter starts again. On the workout front, like what sort of noticeable gains, quantifiable gains have you made since the last time I guess we saw you in early to mid-March playing for Duke? Like your body looks completely different to me. Right, yeah, I feel like I've gotten a, a lot stronger, um, a lot more explosive, athletic, um, but also working on all the skills in, in basketball, so shooting, passing, ball handling, everything. So just trying to continue to get better every single day, um, get ready for the NBA draft, and then when everything picks back up, um, be ready to get out there and play again. How much does Daniel motivate you, the fact that two likely high draft picks are able to work out together. Right. I mean, it's a lot of fun working out with Dan. Um, I mean, we played together in high school, played against each other. And so um, it's almost like we're in that, that same phase, um, getting ready for the for the draft now. And so um, it's really good to be able to work out with someone and we're able to push each other back and forth um, because we're going for the same thing now. Are you also heading out to Santa Barbara next week at P3? Yes, I am. We'll be heading out in less than a week now. So. I'm um, getting ready to take that next step and get closer to the NBA draft. I mean, their status is legendary. I mean, you can't get better training than going out there. So just how much are you looking forward to getting out there? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Probably this is the most I've ever looked forward to some um, basketball-wise. High school, I was able to go out in Cali with my brother and train. But I've never been able to go to P3 and um, be in Santa Barbara there and training there. So I'm really looking forward to it, and hopefully it's uh, everything I think of. I'll leave you with this. Have you visualized what that moment will be like? It's now going to be in October, but when Adam Silver approaches the, the podium and says with the so-and-so pick, the Dallas Mavericks, or you name the team, select from Duke, you know, Trey Jones. Have you thought about what that moment will be like? Right. I have a little bit, but obviously with it being closer now, I think about it more and more. But, um, I mean, I feel like it's going to be a crazy day when it comes. I can't really think about it that much because I know it's going to be a way different feeling than I can even imagine. I'll leave you with this one more hit me. Your shooting percentage went up. When you were playing injured some of your freshman year, 
but your shooting percentage went up. I know NBA teams wanted to see that. How how grateful are you that that these teams saw what you did your sophomore year? Right. That was one of the things about coming back from my sophomore year. I was just trying to prove um, what I was more capable of um, that I wasn't able to show my freshman year, and I was just able to show um, a lot a lot more areas where I did improve and could focus on more last year. So shooting, like you said, was one of them, and I feel like all the work that I put in throughout the summer and off season to get me to that point in the season. Um, it just showed how much hard work I put in. I was in the gym with Trey Jones and Daniel Oturu a few Fridays ago. It was the Friday of Father's Day weekend, so that following Thursday would have been normal circumstances, the NBA draft. But now it has shifted to October 16th. I was remiss. I forgot to mention some 3M open notes. The 3M open will take place later this month at the TPC course in Blaine. Bubba Watson is in. We thought he would be in. He is now officially in, although who knows, right? I mean, can we say anything is official right now? Weeks prior, but Bubba Watson has given Hollis Kavner a verbal commitment. The other guys that are in good players include Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson. Here is the bad news. The Pro-Am is off. They cannot have the Pro-Am which would have resulted in a lot of money going to some very worthy Twin Cities charitable causes. However, I am told something involving the players is in the works that would help at least make up for some of that money that would go to those great charitable causes, including social injustice, including COVID-19 relief. So look for something in the near future to be announced in that regard. But yeah, unfortunate that the Pro-Am is off. Earlier this week, it was Monday, actually it was Sunday when when he made the phone call, but it was Monday that he announced it. Will Cheddar of Stewartville High School in southern Minnesota committed to play basketball for Jawan Howard and the Michigan Wolverines. He turned down the Gophers. He turned down Arkansas, Nebraska, and others. He's a multi-sport athlete. He is a good quarterback, but basketball is his meal ticket. He is now a Michigan Wolverines commit. I talked to him the other day. He didn't want to talk about Minnesota. I don't blame him. He doesn't have anything nice to say, so why say anything? I'm not going to put a high school player on the spot. My own opinion is I don't even know why the Gophers offered him. It was a token offer. The offer just didn't make sense. It came too late. Then after they offered him, there really wasn't any effort. Now, full disclosure, like we don't know what the Gophers roster will look like in a year. Like, Does Eric Curry get a sixth year? Is Booth Gotch back? He wants to go pro. Is Marcus Carr back? I think Carr is back for this upcoming year, but is he back in two years? So we don't know exactly how many scholarship openings the Gophers will have. Like right this second, they don't have any. Trayton Thompson is it for the 2021 recruiting class, but presumably somebody will leave. There will be an opening or two. Yes, the Gophers want Chet Holmgren, probably a pipe dream. Yes, the Gophers want Kendall Brown. Yes, probably a pipe dream. So I get it. You still want to keep an opening or two just in the event something shocking happens. But I do think Will Cheddar would have been a nice addition to the Gophers men's basketball roster. But he's plenty happy being a Michigan Wolverine. But again, in this conversation, I don't ask about Minnesota. We talked a little bit about Minnesota off Zoom, off mic. And he just he's not in a position to really say anything that's positive about that situation. So it's just best that he doesn't say anything. So here is my conversation with Will Cheddar strictly on why Michigan. 
Will, thanks for your time. Congratulations. I guess just take us through why the Michigan Wolverines. I think, like, the big reason for me was um, I just had such a strong connection and trust with Coach Howard and his staff and them expressing um, how much that they believe in me and um, how they see me fitting in with them. I feel like those were kind of, like, the big reasons on why I chose them. On fit, I guess take us through how exactly do you fit with them? Um, I don't know. So they always just kind of talk about like, um, you know, Coach Howard, like how he likes to um, play the game, um, you know, just kind of like the people that they like to surround their program with. I feel like all the coaches are really good guys, um, super knowledgeable with basketball and everything. And so I feel like they just kind of see me um, fitting in with um, how they do things at the University of Michigan. How much does Jawan Howard's name resonate with you? Or who knows, maybe it's your dad. I mean, he was a legend in the college game going back yeah. to the five days, yeah. and then he had a really nice NBA career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, every time you hear the Fab Five, you know, you hear of, you know, Juwan, obviously, um, kind of being, um, like, one of the leaders of, you know, Michigan and the basketball. And for him to be the head coach there now is super cool for him to have, like, that Michigan experience behind him. He knows how much it means to go to that university. and um just to like know what the Michigan experience is like super cool to have that for a head coach take us back to the day Michigan offered which really wasn't <laughs> that long ago and just all the work they put in on you I mean was it just about yeah. daily whether it was phone calls or text messages yeah yeah I, I think like that was kind of another thing like every day you know um coach Martelli was um texting me um building the relationship um and just kind of like the persistence that they had and like I just kind of saw like how much, you know, like they believed in me and I felt like that was kind of special for them to be able to show that kind of, um, like that kind of love towards me. So. What's that bond like with coach Martelli? I mean, he's a legend in the game. I mean, yeah. super entertaining guy too, going back. I mean, <laughs> you know, longtime coach at St. Joe's in Philadelphia. I mean, when mm -hmm. you think about college basketball, especially on the East coast, Phil Martelli's yep. name resonates. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, the relationship with him, like, just, like, the trust between them, like, you know, if he says he's going to call, like, that night, like, you know you're going to be getting a call from Coach Martelli. Um, I would say that's kind of, like, the big thing that I built with him, just, like, that trusting relationship. Um, like, knowing that whatever he says, like, is definitely what will be happening. Why was it important to commit now on July 6th versus, you know, maybe waiting until, like, October, early November? Um, well, I don't know. I, I felt like it was just kind of um, like the right time for me to do it. I felt like with the, with like the open period and like the dead, I should say the dead period getting extended um, into August, I felt like there was a lot of uncertainty there and things were kind of up in the air. Um, so I felt like um, that was kind of a big um, part in my decision. Did you have a chance to get to Ann Arbor or was it all virtual, you know, when it comes to, you know, learning about the campus? Um, yeah, so we actually were out there um, this week, just my mom and I drove out there and we were just, um, we were just kind of walking around and um, like we didn't have any interaction with the coaches or anything, but we got to, um, we kind of just got to like see like the feel of the town and the campus and that was pretty special. It's a beautiful campus. It's a beautiful college town. I mean, just the fact that you were there last week, I mean, yeah. just make it easier, just to kind of affirm your decision after you had a chance to visit the campus 
to say, yeah. okay, I know that this is the place for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was definitely kind of a big part. Um, just kind of seeing like the vibe of like the town itself. Like that was kind of cool um, for me to be able to see. Take us through the phone call to, to Coach Howard. Was it this morning or was it last night? It was, it was actually last night when I called him up. Um, kind of like la uh, yesterday afternoon. Um, and yeah, he was super excited and welcoming to, um, you know, like the Michigan program and the family there. Um, and yeah, I'm super excited as well. Is there a sense of just kind of a weight lifted off your shoulders that this has been a process? I'm sure it was enjoyable at times, but I'm yeah. sure it was also stressful. I mean, is there a sense of, whoo, you know, glad yeah. that it's finally over with? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say there's definitely kind of like that sense of like knowing where I'm going um, and just like kind of not having all of like the other kind of noise around, um, like where do you think you would um, be going or like other coaches texting or things like that. Also a relief to get it done before. I mean, hopefully there is a football season that you yeah. want to focus yeah. on football here pretty quick. Yep. Yeah. I, I would say football, you know, like, I don't know, like there's just so much homework and stuff that like goes into football and then school starting up. I feel like um, having like the recruiting being done and kind of narrowing it down. I feel like that's kind of a big, like a big weight kind of lifted off knowing that I won't have um, another piece to go into school with. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Michigan offered the same exact day as, as the home state Gophers. And was it also Nebraska? Was it all three on the yep. same day? So I guess, what did Michigan do right, or or what didn't Minnesota and Nebraska do since they all offered on the same day? Yeah, um, I feel like uh, Michigan was just um, – they were just kind of the right fit for me. I felt like they kind of expressed interest in me, and they kind of just put on, like, the full-court press, and they were always kind of um, expressing that, like, how much they wanted me and how much I would fit in with them. So I, so I felt like that was kind of a key – um, a, a key component. Did you call some of the coaches of the programs that, that you said no to? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I called all of them. How hard was that? Yeah, it was, it was super tough, especially with the ones that I had kind of developed that, that like relationship with. Um, yeah, but for the most part, they were all pretty understanding. Um, and they were, um, yeah, so it was, it was hard, but it's, it's over now. Stewartville class of 2021 forward Will Cheddar who committed earlier this week to the Michigan Wolverines later in the week I'll be over at Totino Grace High School to connect with Joe Alt he said yes to Notre Dame he told PJ Fleck and the Gophers no he told Iowa no his dad longtime NFL offensive lineman John Alt, he played at Iowa. Yeah, I do think his son had interest in playing for Iowa, but then everything happened with the strength and conditioning coach, or maybe more so the, the strength coach Doyle, and that changed things. Notre Dame didn't offer all that long ago, but they put the full court press on. I think the Gophers, my sense is behind the scenes, the Gophers, once Alt didn't commit to them soon after they offered, I think they thought it was going to be an uphill battle. They tried. They were in it until the end. I am positive when I talked to Alt on Wednesday afternoon that he will say very nice things about Fleck, about the Gophers. But Notre Dame is his choice. Notre Dame produces NFL offensive lineman. Heck, Quinn Carroll, my guy Quinn, is there from Edina High School. You can't really go wrong going to Notre Dame. I mean, it's nice to have options, right? I mean, like you've got all these good options. But in Alt's case, he is on his way to Notre Dame, class of 
2021. Then on Friday, I'll be in the gym with Brad Davison. That will be entertaining. I've always enjoyed Brad going back to when I did some stories on him at Maple Grove High School. Great quarterback. Heck, he was a good baseball player. Played baseball just with his buddies in this recreational league, but we went with him one night and like he was phenomenal on the baseball diamond. Like if he wanted to focus on baseball, he could have had one heck of a future, but he will wrap up his Badgers collegiate career next season, entering his senior year. So I'm planning on connecting with Brad in the gym on Friday afternoon. All right, let's get to one more conversation here. I connected recently with Frank Viola, Twins legend. We went down memory lane. He recently watched back at least a portion of his Game 7 1987 marvelous performance. He beat the St. Louis Cardinals. He led the Twins to the World Series Championship. So I got into that with Frank and a couple other talking points. Here is my recent conversation with Twins legend Frank Viola. Frank, let's start with, so it was earlier this week, I forget which network, was it MLB, was it ESPN, it doesn't matter what network, but they replayed Game 7 of the 87 World Series, you were part of that, I mean, you were you were watching that the other night, like when, when you're watching that back, what what comes to mind, what, what stood out as you were watching that back? Well, first and foremost, I gotta be honest with you, Darren, I've never watched a game first pitch to last pitch. You know, I don't know why. I guess I'm waiting for my grandkids to get old enough to say, hey, Pop-Pop, let's watch the game together. I have never watched the first pitch of last game. But uh, Fox Sports was uh, playing the playoffs over again. So I got a phone call from him and said, would you be interested in talking with Simi Lauder about that game seven? I said, absolutely. So I guess the, the best answer for you was after 33 years, it was great to reminisce and talk about it. And I didn't realize I haven't forgotten too much of the game 33 years later. So uh, it's like I was still there when I was talking. about. I wasn't even watching it, but I knew what was going on because I lived it. So it was just great reminiscing. And I, I guess the most special thing about the 87 year, in a nutshell, besides winning the whole thing, was we won it with a great bunch of guys, with a front office that got us, with a fan base that was second to none, who just were, they, they just were part of the whole thing from start to finish. And you don't find that in major sports too often when you have that type of connection. And I think that's what made, I think that's what made that time frame so special. Frank, when did you realize that that team had a chance to do something special? I mean, was it, was it as early as spring training? Was it at some point during the middle of the season? When did you say, okay, we can do something special? Truth be told, I would say probably after the All-Star break. We knew we were good. We knew we were weak in a few uh, areas, specifically starting pitching. Uh, we didn't realize until after the fact what a great lineup and, and defense that we had. It was an amazing lineup. When we, you know, we thought that we were always uh, the least talented team on the field. That wasn't the case. When you looked at that lineup top to bottom, that was pretty solid. So I guess putting it all together, after the All-Star break, we realized we had a couple of things going for us. One, we weren't in the toughest division, which helped. You know, an 85-77 record doesn't cut it very often, but it was in the right place, right time there. We had the best home field advantage of anybody in baseball at the Metrodome, and that made up for how bad and how sorry we were as a road team that year. A lot of people didn't realize we were terrible until we, we clinched in Texas on the road, and then the last couple of wins in Detroit – to get to the World Series. I think those were the only road victories of any 
uh, of any magnitude that so we overcame a lot of obstacles but everything just fell into place and then once we got to the playoffs Darren that's when we realized you know what we could beat anybody and we went out there and did it because as you know in a seven game series you don't have to have five men you don't have to have a five-man rotation you just have to have a few solid guys and a strong bullpen and Les Drake picked it up as our third starter and the bullpen did a great job. Home field advantage helped a ton too. I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but I'm just thinking if you guys don't have home field advantage, maybe you guys don't end up winning at all. Oh, no question. No question. If that was four games in St. Louis and three games in Minnesota, we might be saying, oh, how close we were. You're exactly right. It just played out real well. And, you know, after the fact, after the Dome's gone and stuff, I don't miss it at all as far as being a baseball stadium. But as far as being an advantage for us as players and us taking advantage of that situation, you couldn't have beat it. I mean, the thing that bothers me, I guess, looking back is how special Minnesota is as a place. And you only have a few months of beautiful weather. And here we are in the best time of the year. We're indoors playing baseball. That was frustrating. I think that's why Target Field is so special today. And hopefully everybody enjoys that. But when it comes to winning, losing World Series championships, it wasn't much better than the Dome. I mean, I'm thinking about, too, 85 wins. Like, today, 85 wins likely doesn't even get you into the playoffs. That's scary, isn't it? And thank God it was only four divisions instead of six divisions. So, I, I mean, you, and then the following year, next year we end up winning 90-something games. We end up two games behind Oakland, and we had a much better year. So, you know, you got to take advantage of the situations given to you. And I guess after a 15-year playing career, I could look at you and say I was very fortunate because that's the only time I ever made the playoffs, the one year. So, and, I mean, yeah. uh, took advantage of it. You mentioned, you mentioned 88. I mean, just how special was that run for you? I mean, just your success, 87, the way 87 finished, and then just all the success you had in 1988. Oh, personally, I mean, looking back, it was, that was a very special year, too. You know, I, I, I think that – I mean, my story in a nutshell was when I came up, I was rushed to the big leagues. Uh, I, I learned on the job. But I never blamed anybody but my, uh, I blamed everybody but myself for my downfall. Once I matured enough to say, hey, this is my responsibility. I have to take the bull by the horns and ride it. All of a sudden, my teammates came to me. You know, they, they, they were there for me. So I think I learned that. 87, we saw what happened as a team. But 88, you talk about a team that just every time out there, they averaged six and a half runs. They made all the plays defensively. Uh, I made, they made my job so easy. So, you know, winning the Cy Young, it's just like winning the MVP in the World Series. It wasn't mine. It was ours. And, and I think that's what I'll remember most about that. Not too many people in the history of the game won 24 games. So I was very fortunate to be there at that time. Where do you display the, the Cy Young Award trophy? We moved to North Carolina a few years ago, and it's in a box somewhere. Isn't that embarrassing? <laughs> really? It's in the box somewhere. I got my World Se- we got a World Series trophy out here, but I don't have the Cy Young. I'll find a place for it eventually. I mean, I suppose. I mean, like I even think about like you being in the College Hall of Fame. Like everything you accomplished, I suppose the trophies just start to pile up. Yeah, it was pretty special. Some of the uh, some of the honors I was bestowed. I mean, I'm very very thankful for all that. But the best part about it is here I am, I'm 60 years old, and, and I'm still able to talk about my career. So along the way, I did something right, we did something right, and that's, that's what makes it all cool, Darren. Is it crazy to think that many years later, Johan Santana, like I'm trying to make the parallel, you and Johan, right? Mm-hmm. Both great change-ups, both win Cy Youngs, both eventually traded to New York. Like, have you ever thought about that, how much you and Johan kind of mirror each other? It is pretty crazy, yeah. 
especially the trade to the New York one, you know, to the Mets when it happened. You know, I, I think that the, the one big difference between Johan and myself was I was a second-round draft choice out of college. Uh, I think that the Twins, and I know for a fact, Calvin Griffith always saw something in me, and that's why when I struggled so bad my first couple of years in the big leagues, they let me get my feet wet up there and kept me there. Johan came from basically nowhere and made himself the pitcher he became. His story is, in my opinion, is that much better because you talk about a kid who worked his tail off to be as good as he was. Kudos to him. You know, it's tough to, I know, to be a second-round draft choice and achieve what I was able to. But I always had people supporting me. He had, I mean, coming from where he did, he didn't have a lot of support. He had to do that by himself. And I know when I was over with the Mets coaching and it was at the tail end of his career because he hurt himself. But you talk about a work ethic second to none. I can see why he became the pitcher he was because his work work ethic was incredible. I bet you have a thought on the potential of, of the minor league seasons not existing. I mean, I know you're no longer in the, in the Mets organization as, as a pitching coach, Frank, but it looks like, I mean, all signs point to we're not going to have, you know, these, these minor league seasons. Uh, I, I mean, based on the world today, I think safer is better from, you know, from the health part of it. But having no minor league season just kills those kids who are trying to get there in the big leagues. And I agree with you. I really believe that there is not going to be minor leagues. Maybe a triple-A level just to have people in place in case of. But my situation becomes a little more vile. I've, this is my second year as a pitching coach in the independent ball league in the Atlantic League. And if the major leagues play, we're going to play too. And I think that this becomes really vital in our league because there will be players – who have major league experience in our, in, in our league that will be called upon possibly because of a lack of the minor league season. So it is going to be a very interesting 80 to 85 games if that's how many they play. But I do know one thing. After sitting around here for the 12 weeks or whatever it is, I had turned the TV on and I'm so used to turning on sporting events and stuff. Darren, I missed the heck out of that in all sports. I just pray that we could all overcome what's going on here, be stronger for it, and get back to the way – I mean, sports makes people happy for short periods of time, and I miss that, and I think fans miss that, and hopefully we'll get that back. The safety guidelines, though, have to be in place. You know, I imagine they will be in place at the major league level, but, like, independent ball, Frank, I mean, do you have any, any sort of reservations about going back if, if testing isn't readily available and just everything that needs to be in place to protect you and, and everybody else? No. I mean, if the testing is not there, I, I, will, I will question everything from, from start to finish. But I think the one thing that helps the Atlantic League is because of the association we have with MLB now, I think they're going to work with us. I mean, we were, the, we were basically the guinea pigs for the uh, track man and all that stuff. I think Major League Baseball understands the importance of our league now, and hopefully they'll work with us so that we are comfortable when we do go back. That's right. I mean, the track man and, oh, and – Oh, here we go. Yeah, I mean, just how often does that come up, that story, that, that, that you, were, you were, what, ejected from a game? I was ejected, but it was it was a it was a half half type of ejection. It, the the track man was not working a hundred percent, so my actual ejection was from the umpire because I yelled at the umpire. But it was due to the malfunction of the track man. Now, the track man, it, it, real quick, the track man was a 2014 version. It was not ready to be used in a game. They rushed it. They fast forwarded it. Go forward now. I think that the idea is okay for future, but they have to make sure that they test it more enough for it to ever be talked about coming into the major leagues. And the shame of the track man is this, Darren, and, and I'll just – I don't want to get too heavy in, into it, but 
A Tom Glav and a Greg Maddox of Frank Viola would not be able to survive in today's game with TrackMan as it is right now because what it does is it's a high-low. So they want power pitches, 100-mile-an-hour pitches that throw high strikes to get those strikes called because, as you know, with the analytics, high pitches is the way to go. Now, if you go side to side, you have 17 inches, and that's it. TrackMan, if you're a quarter of an inch off, TrackMan does not work with you and say, hey, you've been consistent with that pitch. I'm going to give it to you. No more. So Greg Maddox, I don't get in sixth, seventh inning. We don't get those two inches on the outside that we earned because we proved we could pitch there. So it will make the game very interesting. And I think the players' union is going to have some serious talks about it when it does come. Those talks do come into fruition. Heck, the umpires' union too, right? I mean, no question. They don't I mean, want to sacrifice jobs. No, you're exactly right. And I'll tell you what the worst part about the track man is it makes an umpire behind the plate complacent because he doesn't have the rapport with the players anymore. All he's doing is listening to an earpiece. And, and that takes away – I mean, baseball is a human game. It's got – in my opinion, it's got to stay humanized. Pitchers, catchers, coaches, umpires yelling at each other. Fans love that. We need to keep that. I'll leave you with this. I mean, so when you worked with the Mets, you had your fingerprints on – am I right? DeGrom, Syndergaard. I mean, I'm leaving out a bunch of names, but, like – how great was it to have your fingerprints on these guys that have turned into superstars? Well, those guys pretty much did it themselves. I just guided them a little bit. But the, the, you know, the one thing that I've been blessed with in my whole career as far as baseball has gone is I've, I've had a pretty good mental capacity of the game. You know, the physical tools, everybody's got the physical tools. The difference is the mental capacity of. And I'm just going to use Jacob as an example. Noah Syndergaard was another one, Stephen Matz, uh, Seth Lugo. I mean, a whole bunch of them. But – I just want to point out Jacob DeGrom just for the fact that his first year, he, he blew his arm out. He was a shortstop pitcher at Stetson. He blew his arm up out after he got drafted by the Mets. So he took a year off, rehabbed it, came back, and his first thought was in Savannah where I was the pitching coach in the South Atlantic League. And he had a 70-pitch count to start first game. He went seven innings, struck out eight guys, just dominated. And a couple of – around a week and a half later, he looked at me, and we were just talking, doing his side work, and he said, Frank, I'm 23 years old. I'm not going anywhere. I'm in low A ball. Am I going to have a career? And this is, this, is, this is what I feel so good about, more than anything I accomplished in my career. I looked at him and I said, do me a favor. Next year, when you get on the mound in the big leagues, all I want is one ticket under my name, and you're going to leave it for me. And sure enough, the rest is history. Because, you know, all you got to do is tell these kids they can do it, and some of these kids get it. And, you know, we talked about Johan early with the work capacity, work ethic. That's what makes Jacob deGrom, you know, a two-time Cy Young Award winner now, his work ethic. You don't have to tell him twice. He knows what he needs to do, and he goes out and does it. And that's what, you know, pitcher coach, as Dick Such used to say, just stay out of the way of some people. And, you know, just be there if they need you. And that's what, that's what coaching is all about. So I, I love that, and I miss those guys. But, uh, you know, it's their time now. Did he leave the ticket for you? No, because I was still coaching. <laughs> but I did watch that. I did watch that first game, though. He's yeah, he's unbelievable. That has to be so cool that that you are a part of. You know, even oh, if it was just a getting, tiny part. And he's getting better and better. That's the scary part. Hopefully, they can find some offense and and can put it together. That's a really competitive division. No kidding. And let's hope, right? I mean, we're talking about you know the potential of the National League East, Frank, being competitive. Let's just hope we have some semblance, right? I mean, there's all this bickering, but I have to imagine the two sides will eventually come to some sort of happy medium that we can have some games in July. We always argue amongst each other. You know, you're talking about the strongest union in the, around and owners who have all the answers. And, but, yes, they're going to eventually work it out because they're going to realize – both sides are going to realize they need each other. 
And we're going to have baseball. It might not be a full year, as you know, but it's going to be a, a, a fun year just for the fact that everybody's going to be able to start watching something they love. And, they, and you see how much we miss it right now. So hopefully it all gets worked out and we have at least a resemblance of a season. Frank, thank you. I know my boss, my colleague Joe Schmidt, sends his best. Well, Schmidt, I said hi. I will do that and, and stay safe. And heck, stay sane, right? I mean, I worry about mental health as much as anything right now. Amen. Thanks, Darren. Great talking to you. Great seeing you. One of my favorite people, Frank Viola. I actually did that interview with Frank like six, seven weeks ago. I had a piece air on Channel 5 a couple weeks back, but I figured it was still applicable. Now, when I talked to him, clearly we didn't officially know that minor league seasons would be canceled. We didn't know what the Major League Baseball calendar would look like. He mentioned 80 games. Obviously, it's 60 games in 66 days, but the way he segued or he brought up TrackMan and the way I segued out of that, it wouldn't have made sense for me to edit out that portion of the interview, so I just let it roll. So that was my conversation going back many, many weeks with former twin, the 1988 Cy Young Award winner, Frank Viola. All right, we are done on this Tuesday night. Scoop podcast episode 304 is done. Stay safe. Stay sane.